What's up, everybody? Chef Marcus Samson here, and thanks for tuning in to This Moment, the transatlantic bridge that connects Harlem, Sweden, to the rest of the world. This week, my co-host and I, Timbuktu, will be airing a live recording that we recently did in my hometown, Gothenburg. Shout out for Nefertita, the club that was hosting us. It's a great fun, man. It was so special for me to be home in Jeeper. You're going to learn a little bit more about me as a teenager, Jason, and of course, the craft that involves our Swedish creative experience. This moment live from Gothenburg. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning. All right, so we're going to switch over to English because it's really a special, you know, it's always special to be at Nefertiti, and this is not, it's not, it's definitely not Marcus's first time, which you'll hear about, and it's not my first time either, Um, but it's the first time, actually, that Marcus and I are uh, doing our podcast this moment live. It's not being broadcast live, but we're doing it in front of all of y'all, in front of a live audience. And since we want to, you know, we call our podcast This Moment because it started in the pandemic. And it started because I was in Harlem, in in Marcus's neighborhood, working and had to go home because of the pandemic. And we were talking on the phone so much and and kind of, uh, what would you call it, Marcus? I mean, we were ventilating and, and... and just talking about like what's going on in New York, what's going on in Stockholm. So we call our podcast a Transatlantic Bridge. So, you know, even though we, we both speak Swedish, you all speak Swedish, that would be the natural language for us to communicate in. We want this to reach, you know, our, our listeners who are in London, Nairobi, New York, LA, uh, uh, Paraguay, you know, wherever. You know. Yes, yes, yes. First of all, um, a huge thanks to Nefertiti for making this happen, yeah. right? Big big up for Nefertiti. Talk Nef to, to run a culture mecca next yeah. year. Yeah. Nefertiti um, is turning 50, yeah. right? That's pretty amazing. So huge thanks to Nefertiti. Also, huge thanks to Aaron for making this possible. Yeah. Uh, without Aaron's support, this wouldn't be possible. And this transatlantic bridge has been a connective bridge and really something that both Jason and I needed. I think everyone here in this room, we share um, 
the scares, the fear we had when the pandemic started. Everyone was scared. Everyone's reality was really flipped upside down. And we all have these emotions and what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my extended family? And uh, as Jason and I are two creatives with a love for Sweden, we both um, have enormous love for America as well, but also as two creatives, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen in terms of our craft? Will we ever go back? What's going to happen to our young kids? So we just started to talk about it. And I think that if everyone kind of puts their mind back to a year and a half ago, around March. March Mar 2020. Yeah. yeah, March 2020. Jason came to New York, did an amazing concert at Ginny's. And a week later, he was going to Chicago, right? Right? And we were talking back and forth. And I said, Jason, try to get home to your family because they're about to shut down the border. And uh, that was a scary moment. We had heard about, you know, I don't know if you guys recall February 2020, we heard about this virus that was spreading, this infection that was spreading in, in China. And we heard about Wuhan. And I think, you know, at least for me, I don't know about all of y'all, I was like, oh, damn, that must be really tough for them over in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like too bad for them. It's really awful, you know. Yeah, and let me go about my, the rest of my day. Yeah. And that kind of attitude persisted, you know, going into March. I remember beginning of March when the first cases in the United States came. It was in Washington State. And everybody kept up this kind of optimistic, you know, hope that it's not going to, it's not going to be that bad. It's going to, it's going to blow over. It's not, you know, it's not going to touch us. It's not going to interfere with our lives and our plans and our, you know, our dreams and what we want and our schedules. And Marcus was actually, when I called him, I think it was on the 12th of March, uh, I was in Chicago and, and I had all these plans for what I was going to do. I was going to, uh, I had an opening for my, uh, my uh, stage performance of A Drop of Midnight on March 30th. Uh, you know, all these big plans that I'd worked so hard for. And Marcus said, Jason, can't, you, you sound very soft about it now. When, when I called you, you were like, cancel everything. Yeah. Cancel everything. You need to go home, be with your family. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been working my ass off for a year to make this happen. I can't... He, you like cancel everything, yeah. and two days later, I got on a plane and I went back. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and now and we that's the roots of why we needed to talk. And then, for the month of April 2020, 25 percent of the people infected with uh, COVID 19 were in New York State. Mm -hmm. So it was like the epicenter of the pandemic for a good two months. So I was calling Marcus every day, like, "How are you doing?" I, I, like, is everybody alive? Is everybody healthy? Uh, and everybody wasn't. You would tell me about yeah. this person passed away, that person passed away. Sure. No, a chef friend of mine passed away really early, and that's when it hit home for me, when a friend of mine, uh, Floyd Cardos, rest in peace, uh, he passed in, in early March, and uh, that hit home for the food community really, really hard in America. But then it's a lot of... Uh, anonymous, just great, hardworking people that, especially in a place like Harlem, they got 
impacted. But um, yeah, and it, it, but but also just to let you guys know, so Marcus Samuelson is a chef, but he's also so much more than just a chef. Uh, you know, I would say a thinker, an activist, uh, 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 just a. You're a restaurateur, you're, you're, you know, you're a TV personality. Uh, Marcus, I know a lot of people that work a lot, but you're definitely the person I know that works the most. And, and I feel like when Jason the always says, slightly older than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's also a little older than I am. But, uh, <laughs> but so when I get to be Marcus's age, yeah, I want to be like exactly. you. you know. But so then I really have to hustle. But I wanted to say that. When the pandemic started, I thought, well, wow, now Marcus can't you know, work. Uh, yeah, like now he's got to take some, you know, time off like everyone else. And then after a few days when the pandemic started, I remember you said you were really, it hit you really hard. I remember, I remember you said something like, uh, what did you say? 10, two or something. Yeah. It took me 10 years to build this and it took two weeks to lose it all. It took 25 years to build right. up and 10 days to break down. Yeah, 25, 10. Yep. But then I added... I added a number to that. Yeah. I think it was two. It'll take you two years to build it back up. But what you did was, instead of sitting on your hands and sitting at home uh, uh, being depressed about it, you flip your restaurant, Red Rooster, into a... Um, like a soup kitchen, community kitchen. A soup kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how many meals did you well, give out to the community? Well, it wasn't me. It was the whole team. The whole team, the community. Uh, we served about 250,000, so basically... Um, the population of Malmo, basically, like twenty, you know, two hundred fifty thousand collectively over a year. We didn't do it alone. We did it with World Central Kitchen, and um, I didn't know how to do it, but I had a friend that had an organization, Jose Andres, and um, I would say I want to go back. Actually, I want to bring it back to Gothenburg. Uh, one of the, if everyone thinks about the, whatever fears they had, or anger, or bitterness, or whatever emotions you went through, I went through all of those too. And one of the mo things that I had the most care about was that food really saved me. Food, like, I worked with cooking since I was 17, 18 years old. It gives me my identity, all the rooms, all the places. Um, you're really talking to an advanced dishwasher and a wrapper, right? <laughs> so think, think about that, right? And we've been collectively all over the world. But what you get through working is not just the work. You also get a certain level of discipline, which... I know I really need it, right? You get a certain sense of la familia that you can talk to and, and share experiences. And um, you get this community, both from back of the house, your service staff, but also the guest. And I actually didn't know myself I, as an adult without food, without that pattern of getting up, going to work, coming back. And I was super scared of losing that. And my friend Jose said, well, we know how to serve social distance, safe, we have gloves, we have masks. And that's really uh, what got us going. Um, I also want to talk a little about the place we are, Gothenburg. Uh, exactly. My so deep, deep love and for this city that I grew up in mm. and that I always bring with me wherever I go. If I'm in... The States, people say like, oh, you're, you're from Switzerland. We like, love it. No, I'm from Sweden. <laughs> oh, the cheese there is great. No, I'm from Sweden. And for any Swede, <laughs> yeah. we'll know instantly when Marcus, is, when Marcus yeah. opens his mouth where he's from. <laughs> like, there's no doubt yeah. about it. 
And then if you, if you just say something in Swedish, like, uh, uh, you know. Uh, well, we have in Gotham, we have a lot of international word, like la uh, <laughs> is French, <laughs> it's LA, right? It's very, very uh, uh, sophisticated. So if I mean... Ah, I but there is no tvekan of what you can come from when you talk Swedish. It's clear, absolutely. Always. And never actually, change. I, it was about 10 years ago that you and I hung out in Gothenburg together. Yeah. But I've noticed now that we're here... Your like Gothenburg accent is even thicker. There's two as it things gets, you can't do you know? as a Swede. You can't come back as Dolph Lundgren. You can't do that. And you well, also listen. cannot come to Gothenburg with a Stockholm accent. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Like you can't. No, no, so no. The, those are the two things you yeah, gotta like yeah. kinda like. Now uh, I, I come from uh, you know an even smaller town down south. You know, I'm from Lund and Malmö and uh, I remember uh, when I moved up to Stockholm 2000 and I released my first song in Swedish called Envejo and I came back down to Malmö. People were like, yo, man, what the fuck? <laughs> Why the fuck did you move? You moved to Stockholm and you started rap up Stockholm. And, you know, I mean, I think to most people in Stockholm, I definitely don't speak their dialect. No, you don't. What? No, you don't. You know. But the other, anyway. thing, the other thing that always comes up is, oh, besides the Switzerland conversation, then the next section, oh, Stockholm, oh, Copenhagen or Stockholm. I think, no, I'm from Gberg. And they, maybe someone in the crowd knows that something about Gothenburg, whether it's Volvo, if there are no music, maybe they know Little Dragon, what, whatever it could be, right? It's connected. But then, which is always the thing that hangs in the air, oh, there's black people in Sweden, right? Of course, of course. And I don't even take it um i you know for me i think it's it's a great question right mm. it's all about identity and explaining that and um yes there's more than me <laughs> <laughs> um and so that also is a conversation starter and one of the things with this moment that we wanted to do besides just communicating to each other we wanted to create a space for black conversations from a bipoc but from a scandinavian but from a diaspora of africa in a conversation in a room that you just don't have to be one thing, right? If you're black and queer, what is that conversation like? If you are black and an engineer, what does that look like? If your ambition is to be an astro uh, astronaut, if your ambition is to be a rapper. So our conversation is to show that, hey, the room is big. Everyone has dreams, regardless of your ethnicity, whether you speak Swedish or not. Everyone has dreams, and we all need help as humans to navigate through that. Like, uh, Jason and I have been extremely fortunate to be able to work with our dreams, and we couldn't do it without you guys that support us, but everyone, every single person in here, regardless of age, whether you're in the mid-career, uh, beginning of your career, you dream about something. You know, In my case, I always make life hard. My dream is to buy guys. It's a hard decision. <laughs> It's a very, very tough, tough decision. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. but we all... Is that really, You've never said that to me before. Oh, I love it. They use guys also. Oh, it's hard. But, but Marcus has been breaking... Now that we're in Gothenburg, you know, we met yesterday. Um, I, came, I came down, and now I'm really getting some GBG facts yeah. from Marcus, like yeah. this and that. And so it was yesterday that I found out, like, no, forget about EFK, forget about Agreta. It's guys... And, and, and you also were like, and that's the team that everybody loves. Nobody can say anything about them, really, you know. Um. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It could be a hard sell in this yeah. room, you know. I don't know, but I, I'm not from no, here, so I can say I would say, say it. it's like this. But I would say it like this. Guys, it's like Hamabi, right? Uh, Ifko people I like got because no they're the most Hamabi. famous. Yeah. Nobody really likes the Ifko. They don't. Ergrit doesn't even. Like, no one cares the, the, the Ergrit. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Woo! So then you have guys left, which is like this hate-love relationship. We always struggle. We always pour. And then we win two games in a row. We get so excited. Then we lose seven again. Story of my life. I definitely think, I hope you, that dream comes true. But sure. So, okay, Marcus, I want to rewind it a bit. Yes. Uh, and this is mostly because we're here in your hometown. Yes. Um, you know, City, Nitroaniti, you know, uh, 1990. Yes. You were about 18 years yeah. old in Gothenburg. Yeah. What was, because I know. For example, Nefertiti has mm -hmm. been a big part of your life Absolutely. when you were young. Take us back to 1990, 18-year-old Marcus. What was life like in Gothenburg back then I, I would for you? Yeah. First of all, the, this area where we are, like Grandstock Story, it's a very, very important part of, of the city because it, it's connective. You have the university part is right here or just across the bridge. Uh, very blue collar. You go out to like... out. Um, I used to go to school, Cox School on right there across the street, Boyan Toriet. It's like okay, right but there. Wait, wait, wait. How many weeks did you go to Cox School on? Not that long, but no, no. we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other part about this that was really in two other worlds that was really important. My sister, three uh, my weeks. Sister, my sister Linda <laughs> worked. I had to put that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. My sister three. Linda wor wor worked at Noblesse Hair Salon, which is across the street, which opened the door to like so many different things that I just didn't know about, right? And my father's office was just up the street. And it just happened to be that where my dad's office was, in the basement of the same building, out of all the damn buildings in the city, there was an illegal club called Funk House, where me and my friends on the worst night could rent it out from the Nigerians and run our illegal club in the illegal club, which you will appreciate this. One of the nights, the person that opened for us was Leila Kay. Wow, yes. wow, wow. So we hustled. Woo. We got it done. Give it up, GB. This is Swedish rap history. It is. Not just, yeah, yeah. It, no, it, it, well, I mean, yeah, but it's, 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 she's one of the Swedish rap pioneers. Yes, like, absolutely. Okay. And then the first Swedish rapper to make it abroad. Absolutely. I remember when she played at the Apollo. I mean, yes. I saw it on TV. I wasn't yeah. there. That was but, a huge deal. Yeah, and that all happened in this part of town. And the thing was that the, the little... The little event money we got from that event actually helped me. So we were three friends that were hustling. My friend Thomas said, I wish he could come here, but he's working tonight. And another kid. And I, got, I took my money and saved him for my cooking trips, right? Thomas was like... But what were your cooking trips? What do you mean? I wanted to go abroad. I knew that my ambition of cooking and my narrative of what I wanted to do could not be met in Gothenburg. And one of the blessings about being black is that it gives you clarity, you figure out quickly, like, okay, it's not everyone else's fault, but I don't belong in this picture. You've either been told by it, by the people you work with, or you just feel odd man out. So rather than walk around and don't tr try to figure that out, I felt like it's better if I leave. And also, educational-wise, it could be better for me to leave. And everyone's like, well, are you going to go to Stockholm? I was like, why would I go to Stockholm? Why can't I just go to the world? 
you know. And I met this guy at Park Avenue where I worked, which was like the grandest hotel. It was a big deal for me to get a job at Belle Avenue, which was like this fancy. Which is today, or the, the club that I know of as Park Lane, or it's... It's by that hotel all the way up by Yata Plaza, Yeah, right? which is yeah. like an iconic hotel in Gothenburg mm. history, right? Yeah. Because it's not what it looked like today. It is, they had three venues. They had Harlequin, which was like fast and, you know, like if Mick was Jack... Was a restaurant? Yeah, or, but yeah. like if, it, if the big star came to Gothenburg, they stayed at... Um, uh, uh, Harlequin is such an 80s name, too. And it was, yeah. it was the vibe there that was crazy. And then Belle Avenue was this fine dining restaurant where I worked, and Park Lane was the club. Okay, so you were at the fine dining place. Yeah. What, what kind of stuff were you cooking? What Just was fine dining like then, 89, 90? Swedish ingredients with French food. And right there, I knew somebody lied, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> food is... right. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I love food. My grandmother cooked. I love her food. But why should everything be French? And I just felt like, why? There's more foods in the world. So... It, Steak tartare or beef tartare? What yeah, was it? It was just French, like beautiful, like hollandaise so sauces. Heavy, exactly. Like heavy food. Not my kind of food, but I love the techniques, right? Mm. And actually, a guy that said to him, Marcus, you're way too ambitious. You need to get the hell out, and I'm going to help you. And he did. I worked there for 18 months, and he got me from uh, Park Avenue to Switzerland. Wow. And I was so caught. What year was that? That was 90. You asked that me about summer of 90. Okay. Yeah. And I remember it so well because I was, I was like really excited about it. I got out. I got to Switzerland. I was ready to go to the kitchen. And there's like, Mm-mm. what do you mean I'm not going to start in the kitchen? So I started in the garden. Oh, wow. So <laughs> yes. you're not even in the building. No, no, no. no. And I was <laughs> like, I'm so glad no one's going to take pictures because I came here, told everybody that I would go and work in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And here I'm like, just like, you know, pulling carrots and stuff like that. But it was a good education for me. And eventually, cutting herbs. Cutting herbs, just learning. Did you play. even have like, uh, like, uh, was I my cocklad or like a yeah, kitchen the, chef clothes on? It, Switzerland. Or did you, were you in like a, a like a gardening overall. No, they had a, Switzerland was very. Because I, I imagine at least let me have the uniform. I had right? the uniform. Switzerland okay. was very different than Sweden. Switzerland, they spoke either French in the morning or German. And this is important for our American listeners. Yeah. Switzerland is very different yes. from Sweden. <laughs> yes. You know. <laughs> you know. They spoke French in the morning or yeah. German. Uh, you have to polish your shoes. You every day you have to tie like this. You have to tie make a tie, which I didn't know how to do, so I slept in mine. Not a good look. And then you have to iron your clothes. You're just in the garden. It's cool. Yeah, They're I'm just in the garden. It's like, it's okay. It's okay. And, but they, I also told the chef pretty early, you have to understand. So I always had this like kind of fear of my mother. So I said to her, the chef, to listen to me at the third day, like, you cannot fire me. He's like, I'm the chef. I can fire whoever I want. I was like, you don't understand. I got this opportunity. I can never go back to my mom and say that I got fired. So he's like, that's not my problem. I was like, promise me, no matter what happens, don't fire me. <laughs> he's like, can you please leave? <laughs> Just get the hell out. But, but uh, you, you know, let's talk for a second about Anne-Marie uh, Samuelsson, your mom. Yes. Um, yes, yes. You know, last time we met in Gothenburg, yes. uh, it was the opening of the Post Hotel down yeah. by Postersplatzen. Uh, and I had to, you know, I was invited, you know, Marcus, you invited me to come and perform. And I remember Anne-Marie, she must have been in her 80s. Yeah, she was. Uh, and we performed really late. It got postponed. Yeah. But she was there with her walker, 
one hand on the walker, one hand in the air, yeah. 1 a.m., like dancing to the music. Yeah. Um, but she's really been one of your main teachers in life, you know, other than being just your mom. Yeah, my, my mom was a major force in my whole g guidance of who I, character who I am, in a, in a way that, you know, what I think is so beautiful about love, it doesn't have any color. It's a, we would be an example of that, would be my mother, right? She came from Helsingborg, so always had the accent. Uh, she adopted three black kids, right? And we were always the odd kids. Look, you know, we just looked very, very different, right? But she gave us a lot of confidence. Um, and uh, her relationship with our culture and trying to understand black culture, bless her soul, was always, uh, and she did it her way, right? Like, she asked me in school, like, is your English teacher Swedish? I said, yeah. Uh-oh. We don't, that's not good. Uh, I don't trust that. You need to learn English from like Bob Marley or you need to learn English from like uh, Marvin Gaye or something like that. So, the, so her way of teaching our black culture was her way, mm. the only way we knew. I remember actually coming into the city like this with her being really, really young and anytime, and this is like, you're like in the 70s, in the 80s, like anytime she saw a black person, get out of the car, kids get out of the car, stop the car, and she, we ra she ran us over to meet like, you know, some Johnny from Gambia random, or something like that. Guy, yeah. And she walked over and said, I got black kids. And he's like, I can see. And, like, and he's like, and we were like very uncomfortable. And she's like, say hi to them. And he's like, hi. That was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And fast forward, yeah. because you and I met in the 90s, 20 years later. We met 1995. Yeah. Very, very similar in the Swedish church. On Fifth Avenue and 48th Street. Yes, there was every Swede that's been to New York City knows about you. Go to the Swedish Svenska church. You can go and you can read a Swedish newspaper and buy a sex cooklaud. And, you know, and, and for Swedes who are abroad, they get very kind of like uh, home, um, you know, longing for home. And then, you know, so my dad would want to go there to read the Swedish yes. newspapers. And I would come with him sometimes. And I was there looking for a roommate at, you know, the hustle in New York. You get to New York. You get in, but then you need. You had just arrived to New York. Just arrived, fresh off As the boat. As an intern at Aquavit. Yes. Just arrived, fresh off the boat, 1995, and my dad said, and it was only us. Marcus was sitting over there. My dad is sitting where you're sitting, reading his newspaper. I'm sitting, like not doing anything. He's like, Jason, you should go over and talk to that young man. He looks very nice. He could be your friend. I'm like, come on, dad. I, I don't know him. I don't. I can't just go up and talk to a random stranger. He's like, what do you mean? Of course you can. Just go up and talk to him. Get his number. You could be friends. I'm like, no, wait, get out of here, Dad. And he puts his newspaper down, very dramatically folds it up, goes over, and he's, I see it. I'm like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. You know, and five minutes later, he comes back waving a little piece of paper, and he's like, now I got his number. Now he's my friend, you know? And that's how, we, that's how we met. Yes. Yeah. And so I think nothing had changed from like 1979 to Shout out to our parents. Absolutely. You know? We, would be, we would, wouldn't be here with our grandparents and our parents. And I'm forever grateful for how I was raised and how I learned to navigate um, and hustle, truly yeah. hustle. You know? So take us back to 
what is your earliest memory from this room that we're in right now? Nefertiti, which yeah. is, is the most, one of the oldest jazz clubs in Sweden that's still operational, you know, uh, turning 50 next year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's still around thanks to the incredible team that works here. Uh, pushed through the pandemic uh, with all the challenges that that brought about, you know. Um, tell me about some early memories from this room. This was the place, because there's a lot of uh, after I was illegal clubs in this area, uh, and I hope they're still going on because it's so good when you can do something <laughs> late that is, you're not supposed to. Are there, to. The, the audience, are there still club around this area? Not really. Nice. I love it. I just love that. Right. I'm sure there are. But, but yeah, but you anyway. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, uh, you don't know so about it. So there was, <laughs> there was, there was, <laughs> Draupne was a club that was just across the street. Um, and there was one specific different audience. Then you had Funkhouse uh, up the street this way. And then there was a bunch of places. But Nefertiti was kind of always the culture center. It was like, could be jazz. It could be some like a big artist from Stockholm when they came down. Uh, they would maybe do an after gig here, for example. So it was it, it was always a little bit a high like a higher level of art um, versus just having did a DJ. Prince ever play in Gothenburg? He, he must did. have. I, don't did you go? Don't okay. like. Okay, sorry. Are you really going to do this to me? <laughs> what? Okay, I, I can tell you the whole embarrassing Prince story. Do you want to hear the embarrassing Prince story? Yes, yes, I'm yes. Two Prince stories. One was successful and one was not successful. Uh, tell, so yeah. I'm going to give you the best uh, the best one. I'm in. Um, Prince comes to Gothenburg, Sign of the Time tours. I work 1988. I work over. It at must have been or 89. Something like that. I work over at the Park Avenue, and they say Prince gonna come. Prince gonna come, and I was like, Oh my freaking god, this is amazing. This is like, I don't even know how how to compare this. I'm like, I know he's doing gonna have an after party, and he had the after party at Park Avenue, right? So here's the whole thing. I get two tickets. To go and see at the uh, hustle uh, and work at Scandinavium. Scandinavium. Yeah, yeah. The concert is amazing. He has this weird uh, stage, which looks like kind of like um, in the middle of Times Square, but it's in Gothenburg, and I'm seeing Prince. It's unbelievable. And I go with my girlfriend at the time, Karina, an amazing girl, uh, much higher quality than I. I was like 18. I have no idea how to deal with her. Um, <laughs> and 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 and. <laughs> I'm like so excited. I'm at the Prince concert with my girl. This is everything. All of a sudden, these end of the concert, these two uh, guards comes up to us, and I was like, "Oh, cool! They're gonna come up and talk to us. That's so cool! I'm gonna be in a Prince video." He just walks up to me and says, "Hey guys, uh, do you want to go to the after party?" I was like, "Sure." He looks at me, "Not you. She can go." <laughs> and I was like. Well, we're not going. If I can't go, if we're not oh, going together. Oh, okay. You just stepped in yeah. like that. Was and like he did, uh, and, and okay. then I hear from the back, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, this gets worse. This is like mid-story. Okay. What do you mean you're going? I got you the ticket. What the hell is going on? And like, I'm going. And the back then. It so was Karina no, went. That, wait. So yeah. back then there's no cell phones, right? So I go out to the public. We go out to the public phone. Karina goes first. Calls her friend, say, "Come, we're gonna go to Prince after party." Like, She's like, "Are you kidding I'm me? Going. I'm going." So her girlfriend comes in. I call my mom. It's like, "Mom, come and pick me up." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom is like, "What do you mean you were at the Prince concert with Karina?" And this is like one o'clock in the morning. She's like, she drives to the city. And okay, like, so mom does come and pick oh, you up. She has to come and pick me up. I'm yeah. so mad. I can't go and tell any of my friends that I had two tickets to the Prince concert, yeah. and. 
not only do I don't get invited to the after party, I lost my girl. <laughs> so this is why my, my mom says, like, how this started as such a good night. How can it be that Karina went to the Prince party and you didn't go? I don't know if I'm more upset with her or you. I'm worried about you, she Marcus. Didn't blame Prin- she didn't blame Prince for any of it. She didn't blame Prince, but she's no. like, okay. you can't hold my mom. It's Prince's fault. You um, can't hold on to your girl? No. And it was, this is was like, stop talking. This was the worst. It went started with her best night and ended up being the worst night. Yeah, I hear you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so, so tell me about the successful Prince. No, nah, I just met Prince in New York. It was a listening party. It wasn't that cool. This is way later. Yeah. Way later, because I just got nervous and said, hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what else are you going to do, right? It's Prince. It, I, it's hi. not like you would bring up, you know, there was a time when <laughs> I... <you> know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was not the time for that. But uh, do you remember any gigs at Neff? Do you remember any memorable like gigs at Neff that you remember? I remember coming here with my sister, and it's too bad she's not here, Linda, because she was always the guy. older sister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two older sisters, Anna and Linda, and Linda was always in tune with whatever was cool was going on. I wasn't that cool. I could go with her, and then the rule was don't embarrass me, which yeah, again yeah, I couldn't yeah. control. Because no, no, could happen. Could I think happen. you you were just embarrassing. Just you know, you yeah. were her younger brother. Yeah. What you know? But she gave me sort of the keys to the city, um, and she knew so many cool things. Like she knows there was a gay club here called Bacchus back in the day, which it was like it was just another key to Gothenburg that I, you know that Patli couldn't provide to you, right? Yeah. It just couldn't. Like Patli could provide many things, but not that. No, no, no. No. Yeah. So I just remember coming with my sister here. Hanging out, trying to talk to her her friends, and they were like, Psh, mm. 
psst, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> not really like not, you know, not being that successful at it, but just still wanting to come back for more and just figuring out how to navigate and build confidence. And, you know, these, uh, you know there's a lot of people here that I grew up with that are here. And uh, I had some, you know, Thomas helped me a lot. And this, this kid, Papo, that we, it was, was here the other day. And he helped me navigate in the city. So I have a lot of, like, older brothers that uh, helped me sort of, like, get my legs up and figure out how to get a girlfriend at least. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so much about being a teenager is about, right? Yeah, Boyfriend, yeah. girlfriend, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, this is like love. You, you, love. Don't, you, you don't know, you don't have a handbook on how to, you know, uh, no. for love. I mean, especially not as a teenager. No. I remember I got a call from one of the most respected, you know, or coolest musicians in Lund, Mons Manstein. Yes. He had a band called Soul Quality Quartet. This is the same year that we met. We met, I think, in the spring 1995. Or when did, do you remember when you came to New York? I did. I came on, uh, like, in January, yeah. So yeah, probably, so right? I think spring 95 yeah, we that makes met. sense. Anyway, this is, like, summer 1995, summer or early fall, and he had this really cool band called Soul Quality Quartet, and they performed at Nefertiti at least once a month. Like, nice. super cool band. Yeah. They played, uh, you know, acid jazz that was a very uh, a cool genre of music yeah. back then that definitely is not cool anymore. Uh, and funk and soul and stuff like that. Uh, and he asked me, he's like, do you want to come with us? We're going to Neff to perform. Uh, we need rap on two songs. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding wow. me? I'm with you. You know, so first time I performed at Neff, 1995. Um, Amazing. Yeah, and it, it, it just puts it in perspective what this stage, this room yeah. has, you know, meant to me. Uh, of course, back in 1995, Going to another city to perform. I performed a lot in Lund, where I came from. And did you spend And I Swedish performed a lot in uh, English. Oh, English. 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 No, yeah. no, I would never dream of rapping in Swedish. Wow. I wouldn't even speak Swedish on stage because mm. it wasn't cool. You know, it just <laughs> wasn't. I would perform in Lund, and it was just my friends that were there that I went to school with, and we're speaking Swedish all the time, and I'd be speaking English I between love that. songs, That's too. Cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you know. I, I think I even forced some of my friends to, t like, we'd speak English on, like, Pogastana, yeah, like, nice. on the recess, yeah, you know, because that was, that was, that's how, that was yeah. hip-hop was in English. Yeah. You know, I, I thought about it when you said, like, working at um, uh, Belle, what was Belle it called? Avenue, yeah. Belle Avenue. You're in Sweden, but cooking yeah. French food. It's like just... It's never going to be as good as the real thing. No. Almost the same thing as being a, a rapper in the early 90s in Sweden. Mm. Because what you're trying to do is uh, uh, African-American music, but yeah. in Sweden. It's just not going to be as good as but the you, real you thing. Unless about, you're Lila King. You asked me about who brought me here and memories. I, have. I actually have a lot of memories coming here with Stone Funkers, mm. which is a mm. legendary Gothenburgian band. Big up, big up, and big up. Um, Daniel, she was a dear friend of mine, uh, Papa D., and uh, he was always a guy that M allowed Rich. us. Yeah. yeah, but but we didn't know. We knew we knew Daniel. That was our guy, until our friend Clarence stole his girlfriend, which is a true story. Um, I cl Clarence, I think Clarence is, in the is room. here tonight. Yeah, and I yeah. and I was upset because Clarence, first of all, is much younger. And I said, Clarence, do you understand? Everything we get invited to goes through Papa D. We're not welcome anywhere. He's the one who's welcome, and he invites us. Do you understand that you shut? the door for all the cool parties. He's like, I don't care. 
So that's that's how that was the time for me to that's end. That's how that went. That's the, when you were like, I really I gotta, gotta leave go. this town because yeah. my cool card was was up. Yeah, yeah. And then it was also on the not so much fun side. It was I think f- I always say food saved me in so many different ways because when you grow up in the suburb and you come to the city, just like being adopted, you have mixed identities mm. and navigating through these mixed identities. And I always remember being a kid, but then becoming a t- late teenager. Being a kid is so innocent, but becoming a teenager, you got to identify and like, what's going to happen to me? And watching my father's journey, coming from a fishing village, being a fisherman, but through education, going to university and becoming a geologist and running a company, that was his journey. That wasn't my path. And I was always nervous. How am I going to do as well as my father? And I didn't know who to speak to about that. I had a lot of anxiety and angst about that. And I saw maybe in, a, in three weeks' time, there was a couple of incidents where I was like, my innocence of just being was like, I got to go. So at Park Avenue, of course, we went to Park Lane. A young girl that worked there, uh, she was just hanging. She was a co-check girl. Wonderful a friend girl. of yours. Yeah, 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 wonderful girl. Co-check girl. She OD, she died from a Molly tablet, from ecstasy. Mm. And we the all The early knew, days of rave culture, rave culture in Sweden. And we knew, yeah. and here's the thing. We knew her, and we knew the guy that who had given her the given drugs. it to her. Yeah. He wasn't a bad kid. He was just a kid. Mm. And she just wanted to party mm. at one of these places. And it scared the shit out of me. I remember that time when they, they, you'd read in the newspaper about people dying from ecstasy. Dying? Yeah, yeah. No, like someone's 20 years old, yeah. just partying, being a young, incredible person, did one step, one bad thing, or one thing that was off, and died. Like that, that's like I never, like it never recovered from that. It really messed with me because in one of those situations, I could have been at the party. I was never into drugs, but I, it wasn't the friends I was with were still just like, she didn't deserve to die, right? And also, he wasn't, he wasn't a bad person. He was just a young kid, like, trying to hustle. So I was, this really was torn with me. The other thing that happened, a friend of mine died in, in, a, in a drive. In, in a, he, was, he stole a car and flipped it over. And this kid was from Patle, Roger. It was a, he was a good friend of Mats. And, anyway, he was from out there. And he died, too. So this is happening now back to back. Within the space of three weeks or so. Yeah. yeah. And it really is like when you're 14, 15, 16, everything is cute and you kind of have like 16-year-old problem. When you're 18, 19, 20, it got much more serious. Mm. And it, I had no idea how to navigate through that because I knew all of those kids. And... I could have been in Roger's car. I'm a bad driver, so I wouldn't have driven it. But I, I, he was a dear friend of mine. Yeah. I went to school with him. Mm. And so I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Mm. I got to go. Yeah. This is bad. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons. I mean, but you it's don't not a sexist story, but it's true. It's just yeah. this fear of those two things and never really recovering mentally. And mental health wasn't something you, you could talk to. Like, like I, you can have a psychiatrist or you can... Mental health was not... Just get over it. What the fuck are you complaining about? Get out. Yeah, well, there they were psychologists at school, but nobody ever talked to The psychologist at our school was very, very creepy. Um, <laughs> and then they had a CEO consulent that no. was supposed to, like, uh, that was supposed to, like, gonna help, uh, supposed to help you kind of uh, 
find out what you wanted to be in life. I and I remember, like, I remember I had one meeting with the CEO consulant, and she was really, uh, it was really a, a kind of a, a, a vibe killer or like a <laughs> dream killer. It was Ooh. like, maybe you can go into construction or uh, cooking construction. because it was about uh, what I was, what high school I should choose. Yeah. And it was either the construction program or a cooking program. And back then, I have a great respect for chefs. A lot of my friends and you today really are good chef. chefs. You're really good You're chef. one of my best friends. You're a chef. Uh, but back then, when yeah. I was in ninth grade, like the kids that went to cooking school for high school was usually like the problematic kids. So you're I looked at one. Like, <laughs> I thought my I just felt like my CU consulant was full of shit, and I was then I never talked uh, to that person again. I don't really have a bad memory from the psychiatrist. I only went once, and it was how to get out of the Swedish army, and she ah, helped me get out of the yeah. Swedish army. What so did you say? I, I just said, like, I'm not a good fit. I'm the weakest guy. I yeah, don't know anything yeah, about yeah. guns. <laughs> I don't know how to put anything together. Yeah. I listen to music, and I like food. I like clothes. You don't want me in the Swedish army. This is not a good fit. Look at me. I would be horrible. But then she's like, yeah, you're right. You know, you, you're not a good fit for the Swedish army. Was it only because, I, so my parents are American, so I'd never had to do the what they called Mönstringen, which was the Oh, I did for one day. It was hard. Yeah, like everyone who was a Swedish citizen when they were 18, I mean, really kids, or 17, had yeah. to go a, and go to the army uh, facility and be like assessed to see where in the army you would fit in. Uh, I didn't have to go because I, I yeah, was an American, American citizen. But I remember hearing my friends' stories. But was it only guys that were called? Yeah. No, no it's mandatory so, for boys. So weird. It's not long ago, but when we think oh. about it today, that's such a weird thing that it wasn't girls oh, no. and, and, and boys. It was only boys. Uh, but it's uh, also for but me. But people would say things like, oh, I'm afraid to take a shower with other people. Or I smoke weed. Or, uh, you know, people would really act crazy and then they'd be let out. I but the smoking knew, weed was that a common go, one. I just knew that I, like, my father prepared me for it from since I was 14. He's like, chop wood, you need it for the army. I'm like, I don't want to chop wood. And my okay, so he kind of, Lennart Thomason, he was like, of yeah, course you got to do the you army. Because he had done his army. Yeah, you need to fix, you need to know how to fix the car because this is good for you when you go to the army. I'm like, I don't know how to fix a car. I'm not interested in cars. So like... So, you know, there's always these vibes between sort of masculinity and where do I belong. And I was like, I, I, I would be the worst. And I still can guarantee you it's a good thing oh, for yeah, the yeah. Swedish army yeah, yeah. No, that I, I never I became a Swedish soldier. I and agree. that's why Sweden never went to war. Maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, Jay man. Jason, I want to talk yeah. about something that was big. Creativity don't stop. So we always have hurdles, different ways. I wrote a book called The Rise, but you wrote an incredible album. Actually, it's my favorite album. Is it your seventh album? It's my tenth. Tenth album. Yeah. And Dugamla... Depends on how you count. Yeah. Dugamla, Dunia. Yeah. What is that even... Talk to me about the process of the album. First of all, can we, listen, I know this is in Sweden, but you guys, that album is incredible and it deserves <laughs> applause. <laughs> Talk. Yes. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, you know, tell us about the process. So it came out August twentieth. So it's it's the last album that I did. I didn't think. I don't think if it if it wasn't for the pandemic, I don't think uh, I would have recorded an album. To be honest with you, 
I mean, basically, I had nothing else to do. Um, and my refuge, when I came back from New York on, on March 16th, when I landed in Stockholm, then I have a young daughter, so obviously I need to take her to, um, I take her and leave her at daycare around 8.30, then I pick her up around 3.30 back then, because she was smaller. Uh, it was buying the groceries, thinking about what to cook, uh, and then... It was writing one rap verse every day. Every so day you wrote a verse? One traditional rap verse is 16 bars. That's 16 lines. Wow. Uh, so as long as I write a 16 every day, and then I cook food, take my daughter to school, pick her up from school, that's what I have to do in a day. And that was just to survive mentally. Wow. So after 16 days of record, uh, of uh, writing one verse a day, I called my friend Jens and was like, Jens... I think I need to go into the studio to uh, to record some of this stuff. And he's like, come, you know. Uh, I'm like, you're not scared of anything virus-related? He's like, it's fine, come. Good. And that, that that's how we, you know, um, started recording the album. Um, but the gamla dunia to me is like the world's, it's like the simplest wordplay around. You know, it's the first half line of the Swedish national anthem. Du gamla, du fria. You old, you you free. And instead mine is you old, you new. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and to me, it was both... Uh, uh, one kind of fiber of it is that it was obvious, even though we were at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, remember... May 2020, we felt like the pandemic had gone on forever and soon it will be over. And yet and still, it's almost a more than a year, yeah. more than that. I mean, I don't know how we would have felt mentally if we knew, if somebody told us in March 2020, this will go on till about September, October, November. I don't know what this fall or winter is going to be like. But this one and a half years is going to be like that. Would that have been easier? Or was it yeah. good the way we had it that it was like, oh, maybe soon. Maybe in June you'll be able to do something. Maybe in August, you know. Anyway, uh, so one fiber was that we're definitely leaving the world as it once was. And True. we don't know what the world after this pandemic is going to be like. And we still don't know. No. We still don't know. It's becoming clearer and clearer all the mental health issues that we have gone through that people around us have gone through all the economic difficulties that people are going through the the kind of remapping of just like cultural institutions in sweden uh places like nefertiti all around this country and in the world yeah some have survived some have gone under all the mom and pop restaurants in the bronx in harlem in sweden have, in sweden, in to to sweden that have that have had to shut their doors, will they be able to open again? Uh, so that was one of Dugamla. It was the world before the pandemic, Dunia, the world after. Mm -hmm. But then also there was very simple for me because I'm Dugamla and my daughter is Dunia. Nice. You know, Maxi. so it was something about that too. It was a handing over. Uh, and then on another kind of more macro perspective was that Sweden as a country, and I've been writing songs about this for the past 20 years, is in this like identity crisis, you know, or this, uh, we're updating our software o of who we are. And we, we talk a lot about this in the podcast. And, mm -hmm. and that has to do with 
the picture of Swedishness, you know? And it's, it's very obvious when you're kind of a non-normative Swede that with Swedishness, it means certain things. There's certain things like baked into that idea. Mm-hmm. And when you yourself feel like, I don't fit into that idea, then either, and I've gone through all those stages, either you're like, well, then that's not for me, you know? That's why even though I was born here, I don't always feel like I am Swedish. Oh, you very I, Swedish. I, I feel you very Swedish <laughs> compared to me. <laughs> like, if we go out somewhere, he always like, Marcus, be quiet. I Don't embarrass me. Don't yeah, embarrass yeah. me. That's the Swede in you. Marcus and I did a very uh, popular You're Swedish. Not I'm not allowed to say it, but, you know, we're among friends. But we, I'm not going to say the name of the show, but we did a very popular TV show yesterday. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's very, it's very, uh, it's a very stu- kind of stuffy atmosphere and very like reserved and calm atmosphere. And Marcus it's like, yeah, like this, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, Marcus, please, we need to sit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, I feel like I'm in school again. Yeah, like, no, what am I going to no, get no, thrown no. out? You know. Um, so yes, I'm very Swedish, but um, so I just compared to you, compared to you. But I will say that that when you when you realize from six, seven years of age that you don't fit into oh. that idea of who is Swedish. Also, because people are constantly asking you, where are you from? Where yeah. are you really yeah. from? Or like, who, you know, you're exotic or you're so colorful or you're so like, and also I have a name that I've was impossible to pronounce, you know. Yeah. Um, well, at least if you call people on the phone and you say, hey, the Marcus Samuelsson, I would like to come in for an arbets interview. You sound like a Gotham, a, a young a boy from Gothenburg. Listen, blah, blah, it's blah. just moving. When, it's a situation. But when I call up, up and say, I wouldn't even say my last name, Jason yeah. Diakite. Yeah. They're like, whoa, hey. Jason D. You know, yeah, Jason it's D. like, that don't even well, like. Well, Jason, I don't know if but, it's easier or harder because. Let, when me I, just, when, let me just finish and say that. Um, so. This this idea of what Swedishness is and who is included in that, you know, needs to be updated. It is being updated by all of us, you know, in this country. So we have to rewrite the idea of that. We have to rebuild the idea and reimagine the idea of that. And that's also the old and the new. Because to me, it's not even... It doesn't matter how many right-wing extremist politicians are in parliament. You can't stop the natural evolution of things. And that is that we are already here. You know, We have people who are in Sweden, who are Swedish, who look like you and you and you and you and you. And we're all here. Yes, you know? yes. And it's simple mathematics is that they'd have to do something really, really evil to get rid of us, and that they're not going to do. So there's no getting rid of us. So that means yeah. the idea needs to yeah. be, you know, we have to widen the, widen the scope of, of what is Swedish, and that's what's in the album, too. Yes. I love the album, and I'm very biased, but I love the process mm. of what I look at the album. For me, it's also about dreaming, right? Because you went back to the core, and I think I want everyone to think about that when all the doors shut, you can still go back to your core, whether it's your hobby or what you love to do. Jason went back to his core. He went back to spitting 16 bars every day, putting them out on Instagram. Whether you have two followers or 2,000 followers or 200,000 followers, it doesn't matter. You can go back to your core. And out of that comes an evolved process, which obviously your bars are somewhat edited, 
but your album is really curated, right? And there's an honesty in the album that, you know, as creatives, you put in your lyrics and your music, it's a mirror. You're holding up the mirror and you're sharing it with an audience. As a chef, I do the same thing. The process of making a dish, it's like, <coughs> I remember in the 90s when I didn't even bring Ethiopian ingredients into the food because I didn't know how. And then I went to Ethiopia and then it was a must. I couldn't edit them out. And now this balance between Swedish food, black identity, Ethiopia, Harlem, it's all within the food. And then you take another layer of sustainability and world responsibilities and all of these things that that now goes into the food. Um, you know, when you write a song like Palmer, you're really hold, 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 holding up your own mirror and you have a documented record for your, for your daughter, which is incredible, right? And that's why I think it's so beautiful about the album is that this is a documented thing. And, you know, for me, I left Sweden. I had a daughter really, really early when I was a kid myself. Mm. It scared the shit out of me. I, I tried to, like, escape that journey. But, of course, you can't escape it. And I grew up learning how to, almost backwards in a way, like I grew up learning how to love, deal, f not fear it, take care, and love and get love back. Mm. That was a long ass process. Mm. If I would have been a musician, maybe I would have written about it. Mm. In food, but you cooked about it. I cooked about it. Yeah. And it kept me disciplined. Mm. Mm. And uh, well, it gives you something to live for. That was your North Star, <laughs> you know. It was, and it wasn't me. It was like, again, it was through my mom, through my sisters, other people that were very close to me, guiding me through that process. Mm. And learning and, how and talk about your grandma, Helga. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Because, I mean, Helga is really, she is someone, that's the woman who taught you how to cook. As, as I recall hearing you talk about several times, and when you go up to the Red Rooster in Harlem, the menu changes constantly. It's sure. got constant evolution. And, and what I love about you, Marcus, is how you tell a story of who you are and what you cook. You go up to Harlem. Uh, for a while on the menu, you could get, as an appetizer, you could get injera with gravad lax and uh, what the heck else? It was like... Berbera mustard. Exactly. Must so coffee, yeah. coffee mustard. Exactly. Mustard. So you had like Ethiopia, Sweden served in Harlem. You yes. know, In such a beautiful way of mixing up all or using all of your identities to tell that story. But Helga's meatballs are I think yeah. they've always been on the menu since you opened. Oh, we ticked them off for one day, and it, it didn't yeah, work. Why, the whole restaurant man? crashed. Why? The computer yeah, yeah, crashed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the juju. You know the ancestors here. I you, know. Man. It was yeah. very, very bad. So tell us about Helga and how she, you know, well, what Hel she means to you. My grandmother Helga, I think is also, it links me to two things, right? First of all, my life, when you're adopted, there's luck, there's randomness, all those things involved. I was born in a hut that is like this, basically the size of that table. And I would go back there before the pandemic every year. It gives me both fear, chills, and confidence to go back to that hut, right? My sister and I and my mom, we had tuberculosis. And then eventually my mom walked us to um, a Swedish hospital in Ethiopia. Yeah, but wait, you say walked you too, but that was a very far walk. Far walk. She, we had to think about, she had to think about what food to feed us. We ate at night. All of these things, I've learned 
afterwards. How I far did, was the walk? It was, I mean, now it's a two-hour drive because yeah. there's roads there. It's a two-hour drive, yeah, so, so it's, it's a three, four-day day walk. walk. Yeah, exactly. And she walked with two kids. With two kids. And that image in my head is... And she had ter- tuberculosis at the time. Exactly. And eventually the walk killed her, right? So when we got to the hospital, she died. My sister and I survived. Here's where luck and the goodness of others comes in. And it, I bring that back to Helga because I'm here because so many people... I had the fortune of luck. I had the fortune of someone saying, hey, what's going to happen to those kids? And empathy. And when you think about getting out of tough times like this, what do we need? We need luck. We need empathy. And we need love. Right? So me and my sister, were at the hospital. They cured the tuberculosis. A nurse there said, what's going to happen to these kids? We can't just throw them out on the streets. They're like, they're cured. They need to go wherever they came from. She takes us in, which is not even legal. She just takes us, right? Then she connects us back with the Swedish adoption agency. My, and here's again what random and luck. My parents at the time are trying to adopt one child. They, they get this kid from Bolivia that in the last minute, his grandmother changes his mind and says, hey, I don't know where Sweden is. If... You're going to adopt my grandson. The Swedish parents have to bring him back to Bolivia once a year. My parents were like, we can't fly to Bolivia once a year and show what's going to happen. So that gets nixed. The next day they get a call and say, hey, I know you wanted one child. We we have two two. kids in Ethiopia. I mean, just think about the emotions, the changes, the what, what, like everything, right? So we get to Sweden. My father is very pragmatic. He's like, between driving home from the airport, he got the names and he got the birthdays. <laughs> He's like, get the kids in the car. The girls' names, they need international name because maybe one day they'll leave. Okay, the girls' name's gonna be Linda. The boys' name's gonna be Marcus. Okay, done. Um, birthdays. And your mom just accepted that. Listen, no conversation. She's like, I'm not gonna no. I'm not, pick your fights. Yeah, yeah pick yeah. your fights. Yeah. Next thing, what day is it today? May 6th. That's your sister. Who, which one is the oldest? The girl? Okay. That's today. That's your birthday. Marcus' birthday, six months later. Check. <laughs> Two things out of them. So those are my birthdays, right? That tells you a lot about... Wow. So someone says, wow. oh, yeah. you're Scorpio. You're such a Scorpio. I'm like, sure, I whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then, so then, eventually, like, you get to my Maybe grandma. you aren't as old as <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> then... Connected back to my grandmother, Helga. So my grandmother, she was a domestic. That like means she worked in rich people's... Living, living. Living, working at rich people's yes. houses. Cleaning, cooking. Cleaning, cooking. Yeah. So when people think... Who's Holoska? Yes, domestic. Started work at 11 or 12. Wow. Right? So I'm connected not only to poverty in Ethiopia, but I'm also connected to poverty in Sweden. My grandfather that I loved... He was unemployed for a long time. So these stories, although when we came to Sweden, they were retired, they were middle class, but the core cultures is out of poverty. Mm. So it was something we talked about. Swedish poverty was something that was in her cooking, which means you don't waste, which means means she's like, if she would be on Helga, be on Instagram today, she would be trendy. Because she would be like, (laughs) nose to tail, Foraging, 
Nah, look, good lot. Look at, yeah, yeah, look yeah. at my lingam berries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at my, uh, yeah. you I know, I pickle my, this myself. Yeah, pickle yeah. this myself. I make my own cheese. Yeah. She also yeah. would be pro child labor, yep. which oh. was me and my, yeah, of okay. course, me and my sisters yeah. clearly. Yeah, child yeah. labor. Yeah, yeah. She'd go yeah. to her house. She always knew, like, shit, you got to work when yeah, you're you got to work. Yeah. It was not like just coming there, hanging out. Oh, mm. no, there's apples to be picked. There's herring to be pickled. There's bread to be made. Mm, mm. Yo, yo, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you're here, provide work. Okay, so you learned the basics of Swedish cooking from Helga. And I don't even think it's cooking. It's also a lever of class, which we don't talk a lot about. But when you travel in Sweden today, we're still a class system. Jason and I had the luxury to... Uh, Traveling Gothenburg today, we went out to Biskopsgården and we went out to Angered, and we had a very dear friend of ours guide us through how does Angered look like and how does Biskopsgården look like. And we're not experts in this at all, but rather than hearing about what's going on in Sweden, we want to experience it. And the beautiful thing about Sweden is that there is this elevator that you can clearly you can go up and down, right? But if you don't do that, exercise that, you don't meet all of Sweden. You're actually just staying in your lane and you're reading in the news, so you're seeing on in Instagram how bad it is in the suburb and how bad old people are in the suburb. We saw the best fresh fruit. We saw the most beautiful Moroccan desserts. We saw the best kebab and all the incredible food that we get from cultures all over the world. Um, that we take for granted when we're drunk and we eat shawarma at night. We just assume that this Turkish or uh, Lebanese place will be open, is there for us. So we are all, everyone in here, are consumers and an active part in the Swedish society. And I really felt privileged to be there with you today uh, and to just learn more. I do, again, I do not have the answers, but I do know if we do not activate ourselves and go to these places, we will never solve it. We will live in a false augmented reality that will le lead to even more bigger divides. Sweden, for me, which we both love, is becoming more like the United States. People are richer than ever and people are poorer than ever. Yeah. And the uh, United States is trying to become more like Sweden, which is like an interesting sort of like turnaround. But I do think well, it's, so many it's also because the it, it, it's so true, Marcus. The Sweden we grew up in the in the '80s, even though you may or may not be a little older than me, <laughs> but uh, was had the smallest divide between yeah. rich and poor in the entire OECD. Today, 2021, we have the fastest growing divide between rich and poor in the entire OECD. We also have the biggest gap in unemployment between people who are born in the country and people who are not born in the country in the entire OECD. So inequality is growing at an like at a very rapid rate in this country. And that's not something that really is a part of the bigger public discourse, you know. I feel a lot of times when you read about a neighborhood like Biskopsgården or Rosengård or Rinkeby that they zoom in on small details, right? like this certain individual did this certain crime, and that's what did this individual, and the entire group that that individual represents needs to be punished, or it's somehow their fault that this happened, you know. And as long as Sweden and the Swedish uh, uh, folk opinion, like the public thinking, is looking at it that closely, like 
with looking at it like this, we'll never solve but uh, I th- uh, uh, the challenges that we're facing. You no, know? but I also saw, like, I think, like, when hip-hop and urban culture come from abroad, we embrace it. But when it is in our neighborhood, in our backyard, we don't look at it. True, right? true. And that has to do with our identity, and those are our issues. For example, I saw something I'm going to bring back to the States. We were in Biscop's Garden today, and at um, one of the vintage stores, like, I don't know if it was... Statsmikhunan. Uh, yeah. Statsmikhunan. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had a stylist. I was like, how dope is that? Yeah, we yeah. met this incredible guy, Jean. Jean Bosco, yeah. Um, from Rwanda. The yeah. F- the yeah, 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 yeah. The hippest yeah. Dope, guy. Dope. The hippest yeah. guy you will Shout ever out meet. Yeah. And they have a stylist. Of mm. course, you go in there, you need help. You don't know what, what's good, or maybe you don't have that level of style. Well, they were there. But for me, it's like, that's so beautiful. That is a story that needs to be exploited and told to everybody mm. because that's only in Sweden will you see something like that. Mm. So rather than telling only in Sweden the bad stuff, there's Ooh. also gazillions great stories. Yeah, yeah. There's a right? lot of good news. And I know yeah. when you going to become a Swedish politician. Oh, I thought you were going to say stylist in, you know, uh, I know we can yeah. count on you for drive this narrative because there are flowers in the suburbs as well. They of might course be, there are. Yeah, yeah. and for and me it's, it's like, that's what I own into. When you talk about uh, these areas, I think about the food. Mm. I think about the amazing, you know, the pizza guy today, he has an open wood, um, he has an oven, which he so feeds with real wood, right? That's amazing because it means he can bake it at a certain hot, uh, heat. Get it really hot, yeah. And he gets a better quality pizza. I'm like, how come no one has written about that guy? Mm. Do you mm. know what I mean? The pastries we saw today by the Moroccans and the... Um, uh, Lebanese, Syrian, yeah. it was incredible. Yeah, and we found it. So it's not yeah. like they didn't show it to us. It's there. Yeah, yeah, and you know who knows it? All the immigrant suites are there because yeah. there's a the consumer that use it every day, and we, the people who don't go there, are the ones missing out. Mm. No, but you said it. I remember it's, it's several years ago. You said like the average middle class uh, uh, urban Swede has no problem going all the way to Turkey and come back to Sweden and talk about how fantastic Turkish food is, but they never go to Angered to try the Turkish food that's out there. Yes. You know, right around the corner from where sure. they live. Now. Should we take questions? Yes. Yes. Dear yes. audience, we're just you've been listening to us going on and on. Yeah. And uh, we could do that for a while longer, but I thought we'd bring in... Yeah, we you definitely guys, have to have some know. questions, absolutely. Uh, 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 and it, it doesn't have to be questions. Do you have any thoughts? I got a absolutely. microphone. I'll run up to you guys wherever you are. Uh, and do you have I'm something to add? Thoughts, questions? And uh, since I'm slightly older and my legs are, are tired, I'm going to yeah, sit yeah, back no, I got and it. just keep back it. like I'll, Grandpa. I'll take this one. Big go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we, we have to start. We can start with, I think we yeah. have some people <laughs> over here that at least we know they don't have any choices but to ask questions. So why don't you bring the mic over to the bar to the cool kids? <laughs> and I know, I know in Sweden it's like everyone says, well, uh, I don't want to ask yeah. a question, but later Ta- on you want to ask a question. So let's ask This guy questions. seems prepared. What's uh, your Joan name? is prepared. Joan is prepared. You are. I grew up with him, so you he knows. I've been fortunate enough to be a Marcus friend since I was kind of young. Yes. Uh, I, I've always admired your tenacity, your Thank fire you. in the eyes, and what you accomplished. We're forever proud of you, even your friends. Thank you. But the way you dress, man. 
Oh. Even you. You guys are so cool. Are you ever going to start a clothing line? <laughs> and when is your art coming out? Except <laughs> for the food, because it's the same stuff. So thank so you, Johan. Some that of us can't wait for it. That was thank clearly you. planted, right? Thank you, so Johan. So you. coming up, Johan and I, we did what all Swedes did, and I had to do it this weekend with my friend Clarence. We, I explained to people, as a kid, you go to the avenue, you just walk up and down. You know you're not going to get into any of those places. But as this you is walk the main street of Gothenburg. Yeah, yeah. right? So you walk up and down, and you meet Johan and his friends, and they were always like into something cooler and different. Right? So this was like... You know, they had like the coolest brands or they knew about hip hop before you or they knew about art or graffiti. And it was just a way of meeting other kids to explain to people like, so what did you guys do? We just walked up and down. But once you've done that in the cold a couple of times, what did you do? We just walked up and down. And it's really weird for a non for a person that doesn't come from Gothenburg. But it's such a big part oh, of We that did it thing. in uh, Lund too, you know. It just it wasn't such a long walk. You know? <laughs> Real short walk. Yeah, yeah. No, but so, Johan and I have always... Uh, and he has one so, of the best... So, but, but he but asked I, you about your art and your yeah. clothes. So, so like Johan talk is, about it. Johan has an incredible art gallery that he... If you want to follow Johan on Instagram, it's... Is it JVB? J underline Valor. Yeah, so it's J, J underline Valor. J underscore Valor. Which is an incredible art gallery, both online and in, 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 in presence. And and uh, Johan was also an early member of Aqua Limone brand. Got that to Gothenburg, Oof. which which hot all in the eighties. Yes, hot in the eighties. I yeah. remember it, man. See, too expensive for me. But well, you but, but but what about your art, Marcus? A lot of people so don't know that you you paint a lot, or you I, used to paint a lot. I still paint a lot. I mean, it's a part of the process of what I do before mm. I build a restaurant. I you also you're the only person I know who paints with spices. Yes. I do, yeah. and and coffee and wine and yeah, yeah. you know, I, like there's a million people who does one thing one way. It's, it's just why not be one of one? You know, it's a much better <laughs> opportunity in that. Do space. we have any more questions? Yes, yes, over there. Nice. All right. I feel like a a, a Lebanese wedding singer. They always walk <laughs> around and they always walk around in the room and sing to people, but I'm not singing. Okay, where's the Okay, first of all, I need to apologize to my sister because she's mad at me now for speaking in public again. Good, good, good. Yeah, I know. Um, she's jealous. And also, shout out to you, Marcus, because when I grew up, like a little nerd food kid, I loved like, seeing you and your cooking. It was so inspiring. You don't even know I was in Angered. <laughs> Just nice. watching your cooking, it was so inspiring. Thank you. Also, and drop <laughs> yes, talk about it. Yes, yes. I study anthropology. Wow. Still, no, it's not wow. Still, well, we sort of have a history of racism that we're trying to deal with. Nice. But still, I can't find any literature. I haven't found anything that builds a bridge between the minorities and us, the white ones. You know what I mean? I've been, I've been the... Hmm, Nobody wants me at dinner parties because I'm like, but racism. But I'm white, so I should like shut up and stop these conversations. Wow. But I also grew up in Angered, so I know that it's not fair. That book is the only thing that you can give like my mom, who's holy she, 50, <laughs> 55, and she gets it. She gets why nice. we need to talk Good. about it. 
do you have it's it's such a bridge and i can't find it in any other literature like the the job you did i have mixed children this book is like a bible for us wow and it's going to continue so to be i'm just i'm so thankful i'm trying to come up with a question but I, i'm all right you don't have to that's beautiful beautiful great thank you so much thank that's you why you wrote the book that. jason yeah, yeah. that's why you wrote the book absolutely absolutely and thank you for sharing. That is so and beautiful. little sister, don't be embarrassed by your big sister. And can I just have one question about what do you mean was doing video? We do cooking videos more than ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Anybody All right. else? Yes, yes, yes. You know, I actually think rooms like this are great bridges, and that's the whole point yeah. of this moment, yeah. our podcast, right, is to create understanding of hard issues, right? It's very, very hard to understand another side, whether that side is whether you're Christian and you don't understand the Muslim side or whether you're black and you don't understand the white side or vice versa. So one of the reasons why we started the podcast is to share these stories. Um, and also to learn. To learn, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And we learn a lot from... I think back about all the different speakers we've had, from Al Gore talking about climate change, Wyclef talking about how he started the Fugees. Angela Rye. Angela you know. Rye talking about being a black media icon in America mm. uh, during the election year. Uh, Ziggy Marley, you know. But one of my favorites is actually when you, this week, talk about hip-hop in Uganda. Mm. Because that's like so mystique to me. What does it look like? What does it hear, listen to? What, what does it you know, sound like? And that was really, really special. I don't think we should get the... Any the more questions? No, away. we're not going to let them go. I was just sitting no. down for a second. I mean, Jason yeah. has written so many songs. You don't want to know about how he writes a song, <laughs> what is it, you know, what it goes into. So between... Yeah, there we go. Clarence right. got a question. Thank you, Clarence. <laughs> it needs to be a question to Jason because... Uh, Sorry, man. That's good. <laughs> At the walk, right? No, it doesn't have to be. It could be one to Marcus. Thank you, Jason. Uh, first of all, I just want to say um, I'll direct this to you, Jason. My mother's in the hospital. I thank you so much oh, for nice. sending her a greeting yesterday. Yes, she, yes, she's Lila. so happy. I, I grew up with Tupac, and she goes, "I know Tim Buck too." He does <laughs> to me. So anyway, so since Marcus called me out before, and I'm sitting here with my little sister and a beautiful friend, uh, friend Jessica, I have one question for you, Marcus. All the chefs, I see you create the best food all over the world. I've traveled with you so many years. How do you stay so slim? Do we need to count the calories? Do we need <laughs> to go on all these fab diets? What do we need to do? Very good question, Clarence. <laughs> and, and also, let me say that your mom can, can uh, make samosas for me, and then, oh. th then everything is, you know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you listen, her, his mother is an amazing cook. She cooked always when we had these parties, like... Um, she cooked Indian food, and I think it was like 10 kroner to get in with the plate, or, or maybe it was more, maybe it was 50 kroner to get in with the plate of food. Uh, so, no, big shout out to Lilia, Lila as she's in the hospital, and uh, I don't know how many countless meals I've had at your uh, mom's house, uh, and it's just one of the staples when I go to Gotham, but I don't even call you up. I go straight to your mom's house. Actually, even now, this time when I was here, I walked straight to your mom's house, and I was like, called you and she's like you like she's not there she's at the hospital so thank you for all those memories but you know we're all about to change our dining habits 
And I think the pandemic actually got it there quicker, right? Because on every level, everyone in this room, we have something to do in terms of sustainability and how to eat better. Whether that is you want to do, you want to lose weight, or whether you want to gain weight, or wherever you are in that as, as cycle, that's on you. But you need to know as consumers that the animal protein taking has to be lowered. That doesn't mean that you don't have to eat meat or fish, but we all have to become flexitarian at some point. Maybe where vegetables or plant-based food three days of the week, four days of the week, can still have a little bit of animal protein, whether that's fish or meat, but no one needs to have a 200-gram uh, steak at 8 o'clock and then go to bed an hour later. That's just not the right way to eat. And as Swedes, when we always take pride in being ahead of trends and being super healthy, we can do better. This is still the country with super healthy people, but yet fast food culture is growing the fastest in Scandinavia is here, right? But that's also where you have a, a big impact as a chef because sure. you can show people the way. Absolutely. In that, like, and inspire people that Absolutely. you can cook with other things. But do you have things that are no-no? I mean, like trans fats, for example. If mm -hmm. you eat trans fats, it, it's not healthy for your body. Uh, like, how are you with... Do you stay away from certain things? Are you... I mean... Yeah, many things. I mean, I... I don't drink a lot of sodas, for example. I rarely eat, like, you know, maybe I went, maybe I went to McDonald's like in 1992 is the last time. Well, How I was I it? No, I don't. The fries are good. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of yeah, trans yeah, fats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's like you're yeah. thinking about if I'm going to go to a fast food place, I actually want to go to a place where I know they cook the food, right? So we, and I get it. Everybody lives fast and everybody different lifestyles. And But I do think that thinking about where does the food come from? Is it in the right season, right? There's no reason to buy strawberries in January. It's just not, don't do it, right? Yeah. And is it in the right season? And portion size, if we all think about that, mm -hmm. then the whole cycle. And also, which is very hard for sweets, but a large majority of the world does this, eating based on a spiritual compass. Okay. And So uh, what does that mean? Well, I or mean, what does that mean to you? If you think about what we can learn, rather than what we don't like about culture that is not like ours, think about what we can learn from culture that is not. Uh, as an Ethiopian, there's 200 fasting days in a year, whether you're Muslim or Orthodox Christian. That means wait that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 200 fasting days yeah. in a year? Yeah, but that does not mean you're not eating, right? Okay. That means that you maybe take you're out eating butter. eating different stuff, yeah. You take out butter on Wednesdays, you might not eat f meat on Fridays, but you're still eating delicious food, mm, mm, mm. right? Um, if you're, if you're Jewish, there's certain things you don't eat. You want to eat kosher. You want to eat very different food on Friday, and then you celebrate on Saturday. If you're Muslim, halal, right? So we can learn from world cultures. And Ramadan, of course. And Ramadan, yeah. we yeah, all yeah. need to fast. Mm. Everyone needs to fast. Mm. Uh, and it does more than just like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. No, that's not the point. It comes down with discipline and focus. Mm. You don't have to fast 30 days. But maybe twice a month. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's so much we can learn. And what's amazing is, Swedes, when it comes as an app or a computer system or an Apple product, we're in the fastest in the world to apply it. We're early adapters when it comes to that kind of when thing. When it comes to something that has to do with our health, in a, if it's packaged from an American culture, we're early adapters. Yeah. 
But when something comes from another side of the world, it's like, ooh, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure. Mm. I'm mm. not going to do it. Mm. So that's implicit and unbiased racism. Doesn't mean you're racist as a person. Mm. It just means the doubts when it, something is packaged from elsewhere, we're just not as open to it. And I think there's an opportunity there to do that. So, Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you don't have any more questions, and we are open if you have more questions. See? Yes. Just give them enough time. Um, I got really nervous. My heart started racing. But uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank You're you. You're both amazing. Um, and especially, I've been a fan of you since I was like nine. I years love old. it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. My uh, my big brother, his mother is from Nigeria, and you've been like the linkage yes. between his like relationship to Beautiful. to Sweden and Nigeria, and uh, your music has been the first linkage to us because we have such a big uh, age differences between us. But that's not what I wanted to say, um, except that I'm a huge fan. <laughs> but I wanted to ask, I read your book, uh, Du har rett, and you talked earlier about, um, uh, in your podcast, about talking about racism with kids. And I was wondering, how has your perspective of politics and activism changed when you got kids in your life? Has it wow. inspired you or changed you and somehow? And how? That's a really, really deep question. Yeah. And, and first of all, and thank you I for asking it. it. Yeah. And thank you for listening all those years. Well, Marcus, you want to start? Sure. Uh, I like mean, Zion, uh, Marcus's Zion. son, is five years old so uh, and lives in Harlem. We grew up, was born and grew up in Harlem. Absolutely. Uh, my daughter is three and a half, born and grew up uh, in South of Malm, two very different places, you know. Well, I think that with, with one thing, just that I want every and it's such a good idea to have events like this in many ways because it opens up conversation. End of the day, everybody cares about their family and love, and they, we want to learn from each other. How do you go through that? What can I learn from you? So, for example, anything that every black kid and every black parent here knows about, whether they live in Sweden or whether they live in America, they know from day one what day will I have the talk with my child about racism? And when you say the talk to his Swedish parent, it might be the sex talk, uh, right? Uh. So right there, we both want to protect and give our kids the most information, but a simple thing as the talk means different things. You can go to the same school, you can have the same type of job, same type of structure, but the talk means something different. And I've been thinking a lot about when I'm going to... Zion, we live in front of a park. The coolest people in the world are police officers. Zion thinks they're so cool. Their cars are blinking. They wear a uniform. They talk to him every day. And he's five. And I would think to myself, remember him when he's 15. Remember this face when he's 15. And that idea that you, you, don't, you know that you can't protect your child, not from the criminal but from the police. That idea, just think, let it sink for a second and think about it, how awful that is. And as a parent, you feel helpless. So the talk means different things. So I think things like, that's just like this most simplified way 
I think that everyone can relate to it. And as a black person, you try every day not to be paranoid about these things. You're very cautious about bringing up racism. It's actually the last word you want to bring up in the room. Absolutely. Because you want to have an everyday conversation. We want to disagree about opinions and not call the other person a racist. Like this is the last, it's not the first thought, it's the last thought. So that's why this, even in the way you ask me this, I just want the talk, and the, not just for black parents to understand what that is, for white parents to understand that this is serious business. And I'm gonna give you the simplest thing. The, my first day of school, very first day, we, all kids growing up in the same areas, my very first day of school, I sat next to uh, my friend Mats. Uh, he's my best friend. We grew up together. We've done so many different stupid things together, but so many, many different fun things. Very first day, the parents said, and uh, the teacher said, Marcus, you should sit up front. And I'm like, I'm sitting here with Mats. And then I'm like seven years old. I have to take my books. And I'm super excited about starting school. I'm not even seven. And I have to kind of like walk all the way up, and I sat up front. And I sat with somebody else that I didn't know. It wasn't a big deal, right? But mentally, and that was every class. Every class, we as kids were super excited. We run into the class, and then every teacher tells you, Marcus, you should sit up front. And somebody asked me, I remember this, how come they know you? <laughs> they and I was like, they I don't hear know how you, they know man. me. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, so these are like mental scars, right? Mm. Like, and it's really like, you think through this, and mm. you don't even know how to tell your parents because you're embarrassed. Mm. So it has, we have really deep tissue things that are and within us. And uh, I'll add in then for me being a parent living in Sada Malm in Sweden is in a sense the exact opposite, right? Um, because Sada Malm today is extremely homogenic. It's, you know, the apartments are very expensive. There are almost no rental apartments left. There are some, but very few. Um, the diversity among the people that lives there is very, it's still it's super homogenous. I have to actively make sure that my daughter, and, and my daughter's mom is a white Swedish woman from Gothenburg, um, but... So she's very, she's very fair-skinned, for all intents and purposes, white passing, and most likely will be even when she uh, grows up. Um, so for me, it's, it's been this very, like, I have to make sure she spends a lot of time with, with my father, you know, and with, uh, of course, with my mother too, but just that she has those bridges back to where she comes from, you know, uh, She's still a person that comes from the diaspora, but also that she has friends and playmates that look different, you know, and look different, think different, and, and parents and adults. So I have to, like, I have to actively expose her to diversity because diversity is not a given in the neighborhood she's growing up in. So to the point that I know that we can't live there for a very long time because it's too, I, I don't, I mean, it's not comfortable for me, but I also don't want her uh, uh, only having that experience. Uh, it, it won't be, it's not gonna prepare her for what the world really looks like. 
But I do think identification is really important, and even fashion and things like this in culture, because think about exact, exactly how quickly um, and how good and how specific, um, if you learn from, you know, LBTGQ community, right? Because everyone has a journey, and it's about coming up to a norm and accept acceptance. Everyone knows the rainbow colors and associated with the movement. This inequality about the black experience, through all the work, have never been associated with the color in terms of like unification, right? Now it's to the point where companies come in and said, oh, in May we're doing this because this is the way to brand ourselves, right? Which you can have another whole conversation about whether that's good or not. But I do think there's lessons from movements, from civil rights movements, from LBTGQ, uh, experience movement that we can all learn from because and eventually there's going to come one generation maybe a generation from now or generation from two two from now is going to say like what were they doing they're wasting this time and energy and money on hate arguing, and arguing, arguing about, about this what? stuff yeah. that somebody two boys liked each other and white people or black people didn't like this is a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can actually yeah. work on the real issues which we have, which yeah. is the environment, the climate, which is yeah. climate, which mm. is love mm. and understanding. True. What are you arguing? I mean, for me, it all comes back to how can guys be better than Ifko? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, before we end, I want to really send a, a, a thank you to Erin because you know we're uh, uh, we're an independent podcast of and and. Uh, they're supporting us. That support is very uh, well received. They're also a company founded in my hometown, Lund, which means a lot. Nice. You know, yes. I support anything from Lund, and uh, plus, you know, I'm always I always have my headphones in listening to music, and uh, these headphones are great. So thank you, Erin, Marcus. Yeah, when it's I'm so fucking happy to sit down with you in Gothenburg, yes. your hometown. Um, I I wanted to thank you to you, Jason, for keeping inspiring us. I want everyone, when you go by train, bike, car, however you get home, support your dreams. Don't kill your dreams. Mm. You're listening to two people that always nurtured and were scared about the dreams and cared about you, our dreams. And we had each other to really talk about our dreams. So whatever those are, hold on to them. No dream is weird. No dream is wrong. And no dream is too big. No dream is too dream big. big, man. And I want you to hold on to them. The second yeah. thing I want to say, wherever I'm in the world, I always think about Gothenburg. I always mm. think about this place. That's true. That's true. I think about that this is place. True. That is true. I think about the people that I left. I think about the dark side. What if I would have been in that car? I think about the lessons that everybody here, the aunts and uncles and the friends that guided me through, right? I had a lot of good friends that knew that, okay, when was left, when was, when was right, when to sit out one. And I always thank Gothenburg for this is a place where I can come back to. Just even working with the post office, it's really a love story. Like, I didn't want even, like, it was such a heavy project, but I was like, no, this is a place where my mom, my grandmother used to get their mail through, pay the bills at. Let's do it. So the love story with Gothenburg will never change. 
Um, it's your hometown. It's man. my hometown. It's your hometown. And just like you, one of your many hometowns. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a very, but it's your very, home, home, very, home, very, very yeah. special place to yeah. me. So thank you. And 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 shout out to Nefertiti or uh, big love to Nefertiti, and to the whole team working at Nefertiti. You know. And more than anything, thank May you. May it live on for 50 more years. And thank you to everyone here coming yeah. tonight because you show us support and you show up in different ways. And without this dialogue and opportunity to communicate what we do on this moment, um, it's a very special place. And thank you, Jason, for collectively we created something in the darkest time, in the most difficult time. And I hope that that's inspiration for each one of you, whatever that dream is. Hold on to it, create it, be proud. One of the words that I was always told was, don't think you are somebody. Mm. And I said, like, but I am somebody. <laughs> and then someone said, but don't think you are somebody. But I'm being told every day that I am somebody. So how are you going to become so I, somebody? I want to <laughs> actually do this as a, you want to, when you go to a black church in Harlem, there's always a call and respond. And I think we're here right, with the next. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, should yeah. do a call and respond. And remember emotionally, just don't call it out, remember emotionally that you hear rapping with Jason. <laughs> right? But you're doing so the call and response. No, no, we can do okay, it. Okay, so, so what are we I'm doing? I'm going to say, don't think you are somebody. And you're going to say, but I am somebody. Yeah, all right. Don't I, think I you are somebody. But I am somebody. <laughs> Don't think you, you are, are somebody. somebody. But I am somebody. And I can tell you, <laughs> I am Marcus Samuelson from Gothenburg, from Gberg, and I'm going to try to cook my food to the hardest, and thank you for all the support and love. Thank you Peace. for coming out. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.